Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. everybody, Mark and Steve on PBSE with you. We're going to address a listener today who sent in a pretty, uh, I mean, it's, this is fairly common with what we see in our practices and people that we've worked with all over the world. This one is a little pretty specific though. It narrows in on some, on some issues. I'm just going to read what this listener sent in and then Steve and I are going to address it. Sounds like a plan. So she says, Hello. I've been listening to your podcast for the last couple months, and honestly, it's the only thing that has kept me sane during the navigation of my husband's porn addiction. During your podcast, you talk a lot about sexual boundaries and what your husband is thinking when he's wanting sex with you. But what about when your husband doesn't want contact with you? Even after he's gone through sobriety and is no longer acting out, or to the best of your knowledge, he's not. How do you handle the rejection that the wife feels when she is still lonely? I've been married for 25 years. We've been celibate for 15. I know a lot of that has been due to his porn use, and he's told me that he's sober now, and I do see great changes in areas such as not talking down to me anymore and a bigger commitment to God, but he still won't intimately touch me even if I initiate. Mm -hmm. I feel rejected again. And I feel if I say something about this, I will trigger emotions of shame and inadequacy in him. I'm thankful for the changes in my husband, but would like my needs to be met as well. He suffers from ED and blames everything on that, but for years has been meeting his own needs through masturbation. Help me navigate this. Oh, (laughs) Heart just goes wow. out to out to this wife. This is a really hard situation. Wow. Well, and then right out to both of them. Yeah, absolutely. This yeah. yeah, this whole thing is uh, we see this so much, and some of these things you know you and I experienced in our own our own marriages and recovery uh-huh. journey. Now, as we so as we start to try to address some of this and make some comments, please understand this is a very specialized situation. There are a lot of details we do not have. Yes. So we're going to try our best to try to address a lot of this, but please know this is, we're not giving therapy advice. We're not trying to say we have the be all end all solutions for this because again, very complicated, 
but we will give it our best shot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's jump in on this. Let's do. So yeah, right out the gate, because I know these podcasts, they go fast. But, um, but, but looking at this, I think the first thing to do is, is rule out what you can, you know, when it comes to factors that could be playing a role here that operate outside of like the therapy realm. Okay. So uh, biology is going to be important here. Now we have no idea how old this couple is. It did, you know, they do say that they've been married 25 years. So if they were married in their early to mid twenties, that's going to put them at least in their fifties. Um, biology is a, is a critical one here. And I, I've talked about before on this podcast, how, you know, we see this with guys that we work with fairly frequently in marriages who are in similar situations where when addiction has been a factor for a, an extended period of time, right. To the, to the point where it's been ongoing, this distorted sexuality and distorted sexual relationship has been this compulsive sexuality has been going on for, you know, the entire, if not the majority of the marriage over the course of years and decades, like I guess is the case here. It's very, very difficult uh, to even for, for both the addict and a spouse to even have a grasp of what would be or could be normal at this point. And we're going to talk about how to address that on the emotional and actually fixing it realm. But the first place you're going to want to start is definitely just with the biology side and recognizing that you have to take that into account when you look at, you know, where could some of these things be coming from. It's very common in, in, in Mark and I's practice when we, when we look at this stuff too. And this is where we usually start in situations like this. It's very common, for example, low testosterone to be playing yep. a role in something yep. like this. Very much. Um, there are lots of telltale signs for low testosterone, decreased energy, uh, inability to get up quicker in, you know, in the morning. Um, oftentimes, depression or emotional symptoms can, can accompany that. Um, you know, lethargic. I mean, there's a whole list of things. Oftentimes those are kind of mimicked by being an addiction or, or a depressed state anyway. And so going and having testosterone levels checked as well as like a thyroid, that's something that Mark and I would recommend. Yep. Thyroid levels. Anybody. There could be heart issues, cardiovascular issues. Yes. Like all going, sorts of stuff. Going and making sure that it's, you know, what is the biology and, and is there something that's contributing or causing this from that standpoint, Absolutely. right? El eliminate the easiest to, to go get tested first. For sure. Now, the other side of this is what we often talk about on this podcast about what's called the arousal template. Yeah. The sexual wiring inside of my brain and body that basically determines what turns me on sexually, how I function or don't function sexually, right? What kinds of ideas and practices and attitudes and coming at this have I developed over my lifetime? That has a huge impact on what, on what this gal is describing. Yeah. And that arousal template, that sexual wiring inside of me can become distorted in so many ways, right? So let's take for an example, let's, I don't know how old this guy is, but let's say that he's 50, just for example's sake. And let's say that like a lot of my clients, and this was the case for me as well, let's say that he started in his addiction at a very young age. I have clients where for many reasons, it was, you know, family introduced it, peers, situations or whatever. They began masturbating even at, at ages as young as five or six. Yeah. And so let's say that, for example, this was the case with him. This could be a guy who's been deep developing and deeply entrenching and deeply rutting his arousal template within himself for almost a half a century. Yes. I think of the ramifications of that. I mean, that is just, you can't begin to fathom what that does. And now let's say at age 50, he's, he's trying to be healthy. 
you're going to yeah. be dealing with that lifetime of sexual wiring about, you know, what arouses me, what doesn't, what turns me on, what kind of fantasies have I been playing into my, in my head, right? How does all this work? What was modeled to me or not modeled to me as I was growing up? What were prior sexual experiences I had before my marriage, you know, and then all the 25 years of marriage. I mean, that yeah. is a big, big deal. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and along with the arousal template, it should be noted, you know, the arousal template essentially is, you know, what, what turns us on, right? What excites us, what drives us, what, what is, what is the mapping of our beta look like? But when you're dealing with a situation where this has been going on for, for as long as it hasn't, you know, as is the case with most of the compulsive guys that we work with, it isn't just a what turns me on that becomes distorted. It's the end goal in the brain of, of what, what the benefits are, the perceived payoffs, right? Of a sexual release and, and what should be leading up to that, right? So the things that drive that. Yes. So, for example, distortions around the connective nature of sex versus an escapist nature of sex, right? In, in what ways has my, my brain been trained to, to utilize sex for? Is it a way to express connection with another person? Or has it been, it has been, it could be anything from that, uh, which would be oscillating more towards the healthy in our world, all the way up to, um, you know, an escapist mentality or even a traumatic repetition from, from trauma in the past. I mean, there's a whole range of things, right? I mean, we're talking, we're talking 20, we're talking a minimum of 25 years of addiction that's been going on here and probably far longer. Yeah. So, so does, so in my brain, in my body, does, does, does climax, does sexual climax mean escape from stress when life gets difficult? Have I used it as a shame coping mechanism so that I feel that I have worth and value? Uh, Have I used it for insomnia? I can't sleep. And in order to sleep, I I use, I use climax as the way to get to sleep. Um, Right. There, there, there are a thousand things that I could have attached to that reward system of sexual climax Especially over that period of time. Over that period of time. And, and it literally becomes not just something I do. It's something I am. Like I, my body literally says, I cannot function without this climactic experience attached to these things. So in other words, it's not just a question of arousal. It's also a question of sexual cues as well. Yes. Right. You know, what, what are the cues? What are the, what are the emotional triggers? Not just the drive itself that's become distorted. It's, it's how has my brain become accustomed to utilizing a sexual release? Exactly. And, and so there's that whole element. So that, I mean, and that's mm-hmm. a whole, that's a whole like five podcasts. Right <laughs> it there, is like but. five podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but so, the, so if we look at all that I and mean, we could go on and on and on about all the, all the ways that this guy has been rewired and, and all the things that happen, but that all comes down to the fact that there is a need for establishing now, probably for the first time ever, healthy sexual norms. Yes. What does that even look like, feel like, be like inside of me, in my partnership, right? I mean, I know in, in my own recovery, I had no idea what, if you'd asked me, so Mark, tell me what is truly healthy sexually uh, for yourself and as a partnership, what does that look like? What is the sexual norm, Mark? I couldn't have told you in a million years. Yeah. I had no, no absolutely. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's it, it, it and and I'm glad that you mentioned the partner too because we probably should have covered that before, right? This isn't just something that's been going on for 25 years for for the the quote unquote addict, right? We're talking about if 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 the partner that wrote to us, uh, if she if she for example was was celibate prior to the marriage, 
And this say was her only sexual relationship or has been her only sexual relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Norms around sexuality are going to be for different reasons, just as distorted for her, right? And what this looks like and how it's supposed to quote unquote, supposed to look right versus not. And those are really hard questions to, to answer from a whole slew of, of different places. And so this, this sexual norms component isn't just about him kind of remapping, you know, what, what is attractive, what is not, what is healthy, what is not. It's going to be very much the same thing for her. Yes. Um, you know, and what, what does a healthy, just sexual relationship in general look like on my end? How should I, what should I be looking to for sex to signify versus not? Right. So in other words, if, if I, if I am looking to sex to validate me in certain ways in a relationship, but for my partner, it's an escape, strictly an escapist behavior. You can see where the wires are going to get crossed in just a dynamic like that. Right. Exactly. We've got one spouse who's perpetually caught in a, in a place of never being feeling validated. And the other one never even looking at it as a source for validation or safety, but rather as a way to just escape and numb, numb out. Well, and as we read this, you know, married for 25 years and celibate for 15, which we take, we take to mean they haven't been, they haven't had sexual relations in their marriage for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And we add that into this mix and all the other things we've talked about. You know, one of the things, Steve, that <laughs> we, we talk about the need for a professional in this process. And there's one professional recommendation that we come at with caution, right? This concept of a certified sex therapist. Mm-hmm. As we even make that recommendation, you know, obviously the, she, this listener mentioned there is a big God component in their lives, but we, this is a situation where, where someone who is a certified sex therapist, couples therapist who specialize in this, specializes in that area could be very helpful. You know, if you're going to seek somebody like that, just make sure that they have your same value system in place that they have a strong religious or Christian component and you can check reviews and make sure that that is the case, but that could be a very important part of this process. Absolutely. You know, Mark and I, we, I, I, for example, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist and we do a lot of this type of work in our offices to a degree, but we are big believers of operating within your scope of practice. And when you're talking about a rewiring for a couple that's dealing with this kind of dynamic for this length of time, right on this level of significance. And, and, and obviously we don't know the whole story here. It is something really realistically that you're going to want to look at considering. Yeah, um, sure. Obviously we have to have recovery ducks lined up in a row and we've got to have him operating from a healthy place and doing his own work. And you both have to be doing your own individual work. And we're going to talk about that in a second as well. But assuming that all those other things are in place, having a third party who, who is really skilled and specialized and being able to do this and, and help you to navigate a new level of sexuality and someone who can do that within your religious or moral framework would be huge. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so that would definitely be something we would recommend. And then as we start to get into, you know, what, what, what you can do um, within the scope of getting professional help, but obviously as part of that, you're going to be doing your work. I would really encourage, you know, this gal who wrote into us to realize this is not all about her. Yes. And boy, is it for easy sure. when you're being rejected like this, you know, for, for, for various reasons, it'd be very easy to take this extremely personal and say, this must be, I'm inadequate. I'm not measuring up. There's something wrong with me. I'm not attractive. I'm, I'm not skilled. I'm not whatever. It could be very easy to take this, all this on your shoulders. It's very important for her to allow him to own his own stuff. 
Yes. Right, to work his own recovery. Because she says something really important here. She says, I don't want to bring this up because I'm really afraid that if I do, that it's going to trigger his shame and his inadequacy. Which what I hear when she says that is, I'm going to be the cause of him relapsing. If I even tried to navigate this topic of him not being sexually res- responsive at all. Rule number, rule number one for a spouse in recovery and for an addict for that matter in recovery is that we, we own our own stuff, right? And then we allow our partners to own theirs. And, and you can't own that any more than he can own your recovery, right? At the end of the day, you fixing you is your business, just like him fixing him is his. Um, emotionally managing a partner, Mark and I, you know, we talk about this often, but we just, neither one of us, you know, we discuss this frequently. We've never seen an example where in the long term, you know, trying to emotionally manage or protect another person through withholding information, it, it just never pays dividends. There is a time and place for those things. It's true. And there's a tact and, and a way to navigate that. But at the end of the day, if I, the more I try to run my partner's recovery and show, the more I'm actually going to prolong and delay the process. So what that means in this case, for example, yes. Could you bring this up, trigger shame and inadequacy in him? Almost sure. sure. Probably will. But, but it's his job to go and seek his support and resources and systems so that he can start to gain resiliency with regard to those issues. So that when you do bring, well, I was going to say, so that when you do bring it up, he has tools and skills and is working through his shame and inadequacy, but I'm going to take it one step further. He needs to go do his own work so that he can bring this up. Yes. So that he can proactively begin to tackle this and, and be healthy enough to do so. So it's really important that he do his work for that reason. Absolutely. And then for her, you know, she needs to also be doing her own work because this can be obviously very shaming and very, you know, very emotionally um, traumatic for her, right? And so what is her system of support in all of this? Well, and, and, and that is, I mean, that's an important piece of this, you know, because of the secrecy and the shame dynamic accompanying the issues that we talk about here on this podcast all the time, it's extremely common for, for clients that we work with to become myopic in their viewpoint. For different reasons. You know, if a wife finds herself emotionally isolated, she's not talking to or opening up to people in general, but specifically people who are experiencing the same thing. It's very easy to develop a mentality of, you know, you only know what you know, and to kind of become trapped and and start forming your own realities around ideas and concepts in this process that may not be realistic. Mm -hmm. And so you have to bring in outside sources. And some of those can and ought to be professional. Right. We've already talked about a couples therapist, good sex therapist, a good individual therapist would be somebody to strongly consider. But it does extend well beyond that, because even the best therapists, Mark and I are kind of unique in this way because we we have and are very open about our experiences navigating this, which we share with clients. But that's probably less common than is typical. Um, you're going to really need to be, and, in, and even if you found a therapist that did that, surrounding yourself with a group of people who are in the same position and navigating the same issues to be able to access their experience, what's working for them, what's not, to be able to get understanding and validation from a group of women in this case who, who really get it, because this is one of those situations where I think it's really hard to get it unless you've been there. Um, to say nothing of the 12-step program itself, which is a common place to find this, is going to be invaluable. So good 12-step groups like Essanon, for example, mm-hmm. which is a support group for, for partners and families of sex addicts would be invaluable here. Um, 
my wife is is a huge proponent of this. She's she has attended uh, uh, fellowships like that uh, for years and continues to do so, as do I. And so uh, those can be those can be huge. And you, I would say that in a situation like this, you definitely you definitely need that. One of those, you know, we we're kind of picking up from this that it's a kind of a conservative Christian dynamic going on here in this relationship. And what's very common when we work with conservative Christian cultures is there is this huge hesitancy and taboo around sex, especially with this generation that we're referring to. And we've got to kind of break down some of those walls if you're really, I think, going to make good progress because that secrecy, that taboo, uh, it's, it is it is responsible for so much of the holding back that just is frankly very avoidable if, if, we, if, we, if we are able to bring other people and resources in. Yeah. And so to, to, to kind of finish up, there's, there's one other area that we should talk about quickly. And that is, yeah. and this is really hard for people to get their arms around, especially when you've been married, you know, for example, 25 years, we talk about this concept of, are you willing and open and ready to literally start from scratch to, to begin mm-hmm. at the beginning when it comes to your sexual and your emotional relationship. Yeah. Right. Cause we're, we're talking about, you've been in marriage 1.0. Now are you ready to go to marriage 2.0? Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I do this, sometimes it's I'll work with couples who, you know, couples in their fifth, even I've got a couple coupleship I've been working with who are in their sixties. And we're talking about literally going back to the beginning because they have many of these same scenarios this gal is bringing up, but going back to the beginning, even with their courtship, right? Like go back to the beginning and start dating each other, right? And so we, we, started, we started step one, we held hands. We go to step two, we intertwine fingers. Mm-hmm. And you start talking <laughs> about this and people in their 60s will look at you like, are you in, what do you think we're in junior high? And I'll say, in some ways, you are. Mm. In some ways, we literally need to look at each other and say, can we start over? Mm. Yeah. And it, and it literally, because there's been so much that's been miswired and dysfunctional, and it wasn't modeled proper to us, and we, we got in, off on so many bad tracks, sometimes we just have got to try to go back to the beginning. Now, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean in Anyway, that 25 years of marriage is wasted, or we have to pretend like that didn't happen. Actually, the fact that you've been through what you've been through is incredibly invaluable in the, in the fact that you can now even attempt this. Yes. That history is enormous of what you've been through together. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We, we, we really do have so much empathy for this couple and for all of our listeners. We know that so many of you are in difficult spots with this and facing huge challenges like this. We love the fact that you come here each, each week to get support. Uh, we do offer more in-depth levels of support and discussion. And, you know, we were talking about a support system before. I can't think of, frankly, few, I, I can think of, frankly, few better places to find that kind of support in an anonymous, confidential setting than if than our program dare to connect um you know we meet three times a week on there with addicts spouses and couples uh specifically one for each each group for each of those 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 dynamics and you know one of the coolest parts of that program is not just having mark and i's ugly mugs up there talking about different concepts and addressing questions and issues 
although we'd like to think that's valuable. <laughs> One of the biggest parts to that, that, that so many people are finding, I mean, today, this morning's group, for example, was for addicts. And, you know, it's, I would say that for the typical norm, if you take a group of guys who struggle with shame and other issues like that, you put them in a room at the beginning to say that they're quiet and not, and that they don't open up would be the world's greatest understatement. <laughs> um, we couldn't keep up with all the comments in there today. And it was guys going back and forth, supporting each other, talking about what's working for them as they were sharing problems and issues. Mark and I got to about 20% of it. The other 80%, they were discussing amongst themselves and, and, and associating a confidential environment that lets them ask questions, get answers, get that support from other people in addition to the professional support. So we would love to see you over there. You can snack a, a two-week free trial of that and give it a try at daretoconnectnow.com. Uh, please come and visit over there. Um, but we really do care about each of you and appreciate you coming to the podcast and for fighting the fight that you fight. Um, please uh, do do keep working at it. You know, connection is is the key to this process and getting help and and taking it a day at a time. That's that's really where the magic happens with this. Um, you don't have to be everything in a relationship doesn't have to be fixed tomorrow for you to be in a good place in a relationship. You just have to be moving that way. And that's one thing that encourages me about these two is it sounds like we've got two people who want to make it work. Yeah. And if that is in fact the case, then I, we have all the hope in the world for you guys, because as long as the, both of you are in that space and willing to do the hard work and do what it takes, uh, miracles really do happen in this process. Couldn't agree more. All right, everybody. We will, uh, we will see you next time on PBSE and uh, keep, uh, keep on keeping on. All right. Take care, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.